Well, hello, Wear Many Hats listeners. Here we are, another fantastic episode of the podcast. Absolutely delighted today um, to be joined by a gentleman called Mark Bell. Um, Mark Bell is the Head of Global Workplace Experience at Unit 4. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm always very pleased when somebody's got a name I know that I can't forget or get <laughs> we wrong. We can't miss this up, can we? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Anyway, uh, where have you come from today, Matt? Uh, we're actually based in Warwick Street, so short hop on the tube for me to get here. So. Yeah, nice, nice quick, quick route round. Exactly, three stops, awesome. quicker than I hoped. So, yeah. what line did you come in on? Piccadilly. Piccadilly. Okay. Now that's a word I like saying. Yeah. Piccadilly <laughs> sounds good, doesn't it? Brilliant. Okay, well, listen, let's crack straight on, Mark. Um, look, you've had an incredibly interesting career. Um, so tell us where you started, right through to where you are now. Oh, God, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> I. Started my facilities management journey at P&O, so yeah. known for the ferry and cruise yes. ships. Yeah. But um, I was actually started as an office junior at P&O Developments, where right. they actually built shopping centers and hotels. And oh, they owned really? a lot of property, yeah. So I was the the young guy in the office making cups of tea and folding the big AO drawings into A4 sheets of paper for the yeah. uh, property developers Yeah, and kind of just really sat there and absorbed it like a sponge listening in on all the project calls was that straight from school then? pretty much yeah, yeah. I, I had a brief gap i started off as a as a printer's apprentice right and very quickly realized that working on the factory floor wasn't for me yeah <laughs> so um <laughs> so went and got a job in an office uh, as an office junior to see yeah. if uh, a more an office environment was better than a factory one yeah um and like i say really stumbled into the property development side of it right um and then from there went from office junior to facilities assistant to yeah. facilities manager and ended up leaving P&O to go into the advertising space and really sort of open my eyes to kind of fun environments to work in offices don't have to be these boring places where people yeah. come in suits and ties it's more of a vibrant atmosphere so open my eyes to that side and then yeah from there went into kind of the tech space uh, yeah. so made redundant unfortunately in 2008 like a lot of people were at yeah the, i remember uh, the yeah. Lehman brothers crash yeah the advertising agency i was working for was uh biggest client was royal bank of scotland oh, so um, no. yeah yeah they were big contributors to the crash there so they went but interestingly as well they had a halifax under that so how yeah. the singing bank manager yeah he was uh, regularly got that guy's coffee. So, uh, oh, really? That's my claim to fame. I know Howard. Yeah, really. Singing Are you the reason he did that advert where he sat on a goose yeah. flying through the, yeah. Yeah, that? Yeah, well, not me personally, but that agency, yes, I was there at that time. Yeah, but, the singing, um, I remember that one. That, yeah. that, that was probably one of the better ones, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, from there, made redundant, unfortunately. Then, yeah, uh, tempted the BBC, which is great experience whilst I was there at the White City. Yeah. And then into a corporate career at Experian. So looked yes. after their UK property, then first opportunity whilst Experian to uh, sample EMEA. So Europe, Middle East and Africa. So got some international experience under my belt there. Yeah. How did you find that transition from UK-based to international? Because I, I imagine, was that difficult in terms yeah, of huge. the different working practices? Or? What I took for granted was the cultural nuances, country to country. Right. Um, 
and lucky enough at the time I had a really good mentor there experience yeah. so I wasn't sort of thrust into to do it I was kind of a junior working in the European team and then very quickly those guys retired and I was yeah. left holding the baby there so I grew up a lot uh, yeah. in my time of experience learning about European ways of doing things yeah. um, and not every deal is the same you have to work differently with different landlords in different countries so it was a real eye-opening experience there yeah and then at that time, I had my first child. So traveling an awful lot for experience, we had 46 sites across wow. the Middle East and Europe, Middle East and Africa. So living out of a suitcase there. So looked for a role in the UK. Yeah. And at the time, this was approached by a, a young startup called Facebook at the time, which is now called Meta. So took a chance on... <laughs> That's an um, interesting, a young start. Yeah. When I joined, <laughs> when I joined them there, they were... Uh, 150 people in the UK only. Um, wow. Was that over at um, the King's Cross estate then? Or were they somewhere No, else? no. There was, at the time, there was an Endell Street um, oh, okay. in Covent Garden. So yeah. 150 people there. A little office above Urban Outfitters in, really? in Endell Street. That's humble beginnings where Facebook grew. And then yeah. there for about three years. And in that time, they grew from 150 to 3,000 employees in the UK alone. Wow. In about four square miles between... Kings yeah. Cross and Rathbone Place and Tottenham Court Road. Rapid growth in the amount of time we was opening offices. All it felt like bi-weekly. Um, yeah, fast-paced projects, huge budgets. So when they kind of you hear that, I hate the term rocket ship in the yeah. uh, in the recruitment industry, but that really was. It was like hold on to the sides as you yeah. build in the rocket because it was every day a different challenge to solve. So uh, yeah, really interesting experience. So we were you involved um, when they moved from the, that original location to the King's Cross Estate? No, so the King's Cross Estate come after I left. So I right. see the transition from Endell Street in Covent Garden. They took a large space in Warren Street. Right. And then from Warren Street, they took the building next door. And then from the building next door, they took the entire site at Rathbone Place. Wow. Uh, which was delayed in construction. So they took the entire building from the office group in Stephen Street. Um, and then, yeah, like I say, we was literally bolting on real estate. We had over a million square feet within yeah. five minutes walk of each other. So That must have been crazy. Yeah, I used to get between sites on the uh, scooters that used Did to you? go between the offices. Yeah, so yeah. it was a yeah, fun, fun time and great experience. But yeah, like literally rapid growth that i've never seen before did you ever meet mr zuckerberg then yeah i mean very open company and had the opportunity to go and see their headquarters in menlo park so oh, wow. great great experiences there at facebook but mm. what and saw mark zuckerberg at his desk he doesn't have an office he sits on the yeah. shop floor with everybody else open fun yeah very approachable guy as well would like sit down and have lunch and speak to the team if he had time yeah. to have lunch in the canteens um oh, cool but what he did do was completely unique. I've never seen anywhere else was every Friday he would do a town hall style meeting where he right. would come and share what the leadership team at Facebook or Meta as it's called now was working on yeah. and open the floor to questions. So anybody from senior leadership to interns could ask really? Zuckerberg a question live and uninterrupted. So no that is interesting. Complete and utter. They, they run the company there like it was a startup, even though it grew to tens of thousands of people very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, 
try to keep everybody as accessible and, and approachable as possible. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it was a really interesting place to be. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah. highly demanding though from a service point. Oh, so yeah, yeah. The engineering teams there were were hard to to corral. They're kind of interesting folks, like skateboarding yeah. down the stairs and not really understanding why you can't hang things off the sprinkler systems. So um, I kind of felt like the dad of the office trying to say, I, really? we like to enjoy work, but kind of there is some rules that you yeah. have to abide to. So, yeah. Like like that film with Vince Vaughn and... Um, yeah, it's yeah, not far the from the truth. Yeah, yeah it's, honestly, it's not far from the truth. The yeah. stuff that they get away with is uh, unbelievable. Oh, brilliant. So from Facebook, you moved on to... So from Facebook, uh, UK only responsibility, then mm. I was approached by an ex-colleague of mine at Experian, right. who was the lead for Adobe across EMEA. Yep. Um, they'd seen the kind of offices that Facebook and Google were creating and wanted somebody to put Adobe on the map, is how they described it to me, when it right. came to office or workspace. So yeah. I was approached there to come and lead their workplace or facilities team across EMEA and yeah. get me back into a European market. Right. Um, was that to get away from the kids then, Mark? Yeah, by then I had two. So I was, <laughs> keen, like, right, to get, I'm off. I was keen to get back on, back on the road. But, yeah. um, but no, for me, it was, it was, uh, it was a great opportunity. I, I yeah. knew and worked with the people, but another tech giant, everybody knows the name Adobe. Yeah, yeah, very much so. But nobody knew kind of what, their workplace identity or office identity was. Yeah. And it felt like a great opportunity to kind of really leave my stamp on a very well known company. So we kind mm. of took over that portfolio. They had around 30 offices across EMEA and very quickly started to kind of build a workplace culture. They didn't have one. They had a fantastic company culture, but when it comes to office space, they were kind of stuck in stuck in the 80s or 90s sort of cubicle yeah. desks and didn't really understand what the dynamic of a workplace could bring to a company and kind of get out there ahead of attracting talent, retaining the best people in a tech space. So yeah, yeah it felt like the experience that I got from Facebook helped that transition into Adobe and was yeah. the was the appeal factor for me moving across for them. So, Yeah, do you know what's really interesting? Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot on the podcast with guests and things like that is that, um, you know, the way that the market and the office environment has changed over the last five to ten years, you know, and one of the things that, that, that we always end up discussing is the tech giants and how the tech giants fundamentally changed how an office Absolutely. would be perceived and, you know, how getting people into a work environment, um, you know, is, is so crucial. You know, it's really interesting considering we talked about it a lot to have you on the show because you've effectively been a significant, you were a significant player within that, that structure. Yeah. Know? So, so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you, you helped create the way that the environment is now being developed across London and the world, which sounds, I don't know, I'm putting a lot of things on your shoulders here. But Me personally done not, it, yeah. Not, not, not you, but, <laughs> yeah. But you were part of that drive, weren't you? you yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would say that there was a pressure within yeah. my time at Facebook. We we knew that as well. Um, yeah. There was a healthy rivalry, I'd say, between us and Google yeah. On, yeah. on who created the more creative workspaces. Mm. And I actually remember... When we moved from Covent Garden into our new office in Warren Street during yeah. my time at Facebook, we had the recruitment company sent me an email to kind of say, 
there was a particular candidate that everybody in the market was interested in. There was a sort of unicorn engineer that's coming unicorn fresh, engineer coming fresh out. So fresh yeah. out of university, they had their pick of any of the tech giants, yeah. and they chose us based on the work environment. Right. We framed the email and put it up in our area, and I kind of said, "This is why we do what we do because." Yeah. This is a direct impact that we're having on the team. People are choosing to work here because they want to work in the environment that we've created them. So it was that previously before, I mean, the facilities team were stuck in the, you talk to air conditioning engineers and yeah. be in the boiler room, not the boardroom. Whereas now it's like, what can the office do to appeal to the next generation of engineers? Yeah. What's the differential that we have over them? So Google would have fantastic offices and market leading for sure but they would be more in your face with some of the stuff so they'll yeah. have the the slides down the instead of staircases and they'll yeah. have fireman's poles and they'll have yeah. a big t-rex and a london bus in london mm. facebook was more the best high-tech gaming rooms you can have or rock yeah. climbing walls or sweet shops and coffee bars in the office so where it was around, we wouldn't put stuff in just for the sake of doing it it had to add some value to the day of the employees yeah and a lot of what we'd done there was employee-led. We would have yeah. focus groups with the teams and let them tell us what they need to be successful yeah. and then co-create it with them. Yeah, We'd done stuff like hackathons, which we called, which was like we'd have blank walls. Every department could go and do the artwork in their space. And we really? had this sort of unwritten rule. If it, was, if it wasn't that good, I would yeah. put some red tape on it and it'll be painted white by monday if it was great <laughs> fantastic we'll leave it there and it'll be part of the yeah part of the furnishing and we found then that if you had some connection back to the workspace you were so proud of it you would bring your friends and family and say this is the artwork that i've done me and my friends done this over here it was tying the employees into the workspace and really have them buy into it yeah our jobs were half done we just had to maintain it and keep it going because they were our, they were the passion around it. We didn't have to do the tours. They were doing it for us. Yeah. So it was kind of that it really did change the way that companies thought about workplace. And now you see banks and everybody doing sort of this big open plan, co-working yeah. style working. It all come from those early iterations of big tech. Well, outside of technology, because I was literally just thought about it, but outside of technology, that's the largest, the biggest change in a workplace environment in over 100 years oh absolutely easily yeah yeah and to be fair that's actually quite when you actually think about it that's that's really significant you know 100 years is a long time yeah two generations or is it three let's go for two <laughs> okay brilliant thanks okay so obviously you know you were at adobe and sorry for interrupting you that's my fault um and and you moved on from Adobe to? I moved on to Adobe to a startup uh, called Utopia Music. Right. They they actually look at the royalty payments for artists and creators and right. try and accelerate that. So it's quite a manual process. If anybody yeah. knows much about the music industry, it's it could be months, even years sometimes, until you kind of get the royalties back from when the content oh, really? was played on the radio or, or on television. Right, okay. So this was a accelerated in real time. It's kind of an industry that hasn't really caught up with technology. So you'd right. hope you're trying to bridge that gap. But um, 
unfortunately, like most startups in the last few years, uh, it, it didn't, the growth was huge. It went from sort of 40 people to 1,200. In, wow. In the, sorry, yeah, 1,200 in the space of two years. Whoa, um, really? And it was actually an ex-colleague of mine at Facebook that was a CEO at the time that right. asked me to come and help scale because he hadn't seen scale that fast since our time at Facebook together. Yeah, so yeah. Needed somebody to kind of understand their property strategy and kind of help build yeah. the plane as it was taking off. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, very quickly, the real estate stuff stopped. So it yeah. was a very amicable time to say, look, yeah, the reason why I was brought in isn't reason why i'm here and yeah of course yeah let's uh let's agree to part ways here before it it becomes any any worse so um they're still operating as a company very yeah they but they've had to downsize considerably and right the real estate growth isn't there for them so sort of pivoted from utopia music to where i am now at yep unit four so yep been there around three months and enjoying it so far so yeah, yeah. and what place. what's what, what are you responsible for at unit for similar scenario similar scenario so head of global workplace so right. look after their 29 locations across the globe yeah um they're a privately owned company so right quite different they don't have the the, the cash reserves as they would do at the adobe's and facebook's to go and do huge projects it's right. more cost conscious okay um which is also a good good way to to manage a property in this day and age as well, right? Yeah. Everybody's looking for value adds, considering offices are now not as frequently occupied as they once were. So yeah, yeah. how do we get to that point? So yeah, Unit Four is a um, quite an interesting scenario because they are a remote first company when it comes to workplace. The yeah. first place I've been where we actually embrace remote working and try and enhance that back to the employees. So we yeah. have key hubs. We have drop-in locations across the globe, but we really encourage remote working and try and offer as much as we can to give that work-life balance back to the employees. So yeah. quite a unique approach to property. Yeah, that, it certainly is. So into, into, are the locations that you've got around the world quite small then because of that approach? Or? Yeah, they they vary in size. They're, mm. they're, they're not as big as some of the big techs I've worked in, but they're a lot smaller as an organization, around 3,000 employees globally. Right. Uh, the biggest office is in Rocklov in Poland. Right. About 600 desks there. So okay. fair size. Yeah, um, yeah. After that, they kind of come down. Lisbon's probably our next biggest hub. Yeah. Uh, then Jakarta in Indonesia. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah. So, so you get to go there as well? I will do, yes. That's yeah, not bad, is it? Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a lease event coming up uh, 2025, so I'll probably be out there next year. Oh, can I? what to do. Absolutely. I'll be your mascot. <laughs> I'll get the T's in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's a real variety of portfolio. So the, the business has been going for about 40 years and like most companies of that age in the SaaS space, so yeah. SaaS for those that don't know software as a service. Yeah. Um the portfolio has grown for acquisition. So every time yeah. they've acquired a company it's come with a handful of properties right. in certain scenarios. So my job at the moment is kind of rationalizing this sort of the landscape that we've inherited over the years and yeah. understanding in this new way of working where we're pushing remote first where we need key locations to continue in hiring our, our, our talented people yeah. out there and where we can potentially downsize and go into a more space as a service model if we're talking software as a service why yeah. are we not thinking about space as a service and this kind of more transactional agreement when it comes to workplace. If we have big offices that are sitting empty for a period of time, 
is that the best value for our money? Do we look at space as a service? So that's something that I'm looking at for next year, but it's going to be an interesting journey here at Unifor. Yeah, so, so basically it's kind of the opposite to Facebook and Adobe. Rather than scaling up, you're scaling down. Yeah, but I think it's scaling down... For the right reasons. In a strategic way. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's not just cost-cutting and closing no. the doors, and and we're, we're putting a lot of thought into what's the employee missing if we don't have that connection hub so how do yeah. we how do we make the remote working experience the best experience for us so it's a i think if we get it right it could be a real game changer and a real yeah marketing tool for our recruitment team out there mm. if you want to work somebody where flexibility is key and you decide where you work when you work the hours you do could be a really interesting space to be so I, yeah. I kind of feel like every company preaches it but i've not seen somebody do it that well so yeah unit four i think is on the way to to really finding something unique here very exciting then yeah, yeah, exciting. yeah. i'm, I, like I'm excited project. by the yeah excited by this one yeah brilliant okay cool listen i can't wait to ask you this question because i've never had anybody from the tech space really here you know so how do you think ai will impact facilities management come on i'm looking forward to this AI. AI feels like a bit of a dirty word at the moment. Everybody talks about it. Um, but I, I personally think it will be a good thing for facilities yeah. management. I'm not afraid of technology. I think we have to embrace it. Yeah. Um, and there's already, AI is already working and yeah. making positive impacts it is. for business. So if you have a huge portfolio of space and you're running your stuff for a BMS and you have people adjusting the temperature down based on occupancy and where there's hot spots and cold spots in the building. AI can do that without even thinking yeah. about it or seeing an operator do it. So I think that there'll be an ROI on that straight away. And I'm thinking huge places like you think of a Heathrow Terminal 5, millions yeah. of people going through it all day, every day. If you have... AI connected to their heat mapping sensors and understand where the few traffic and things is just adjusting temperature down will save millions over the years based on cold spots, hot spots in the airport terminals. You can deploy cleaning teams to where there's high traffic areas and distribute staff. I mean, it could be the biggest asset to FMs if used correctly. Yeah. I don't think it's robots taking over the world and we're losing our jobs. I think if we harness it and use it in the correct way, we can be operating so much more efficiently. Yeah. And then being able to produce this sort of level of data to executives or C-suites that we go in and meet and be a bit more credible in that area. I think yeah. that the data that we'll receive on the back end of it will be huge. But I personally use it now i use chat gpt so do i yeah um, i do it's brilliant i i remember i work internationally so receive leases in different languages yeah i don't speak many different languages at all it's a little spanish um and i remember translating lease documents holding my camera phone up translating it loosely on google translate to yeah. understand when exit terms are I can now upload a document into ChatGPT, have it translated within seconds, then have it translated into spoken English so it's not the direct trans. And it enables me to move so much quicker. I don't have to worry about putting stuff into a lease extract team. This this technology and your 
everybody has a smartphone now. It's in your pocket. You should be leveraging it. You can. I, do not, I didn't even know you could translate languages with it. I did. You can translate languages, and like I say, some of the lateral translations are quite interesting. The, yeah. so, so you can actually then take the actual translation and have it translated into spoken English, so yeah. that it actually reads like you would say it. Right. So it's it's a phenomenal tool if harnessed yeah. the right way. So I kind of feel like. It's a learn and iterate, play with it, see what works for each business. There's no silver bullet when it comes to AI, no. but don't be afraid of it. Trial it. If it doesn't work, say it was a failed exercise, move on. Yeah. Try something different. I think embrace it and see what comes. The more technology will evolve, the better it will become. So yeah. the earlier you start playing with it in your organization, the quicker you'll find the niche where it really makes sense for you to go and do so. If you have BMSs out there, already be using it. Yeah. If you're like me, thumbing through foreign language documents, use the translation tools. It can be there as a, it can write policies for you in seconds, and you can then proofread and adapt for your yeah your team. I mean, if it's giving you a head start, then take it. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Well, one, one of our guests actually said that, uh, it'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, actually. Uh, one of our guests said that um, in relation to job losses and things like that as a direct result of AI, um, he felt that it would be very similar to other technology that's come into the, the workspace, whereby although there may well be job losses in one area, it also creates jobs in another. Absolutely. It, it transitions. So what happens is you have new industries that offshoot off it as a direct result of that new like proprietary technology that's come into the workplace absolutely i i already feel like that now i feel the facilities assistants or those entry-level roles that i would hire 10 years ago mm. the job description is completely different now yeah you're looking at sort of more data analytics mm. can you can you read occupancy yeah. <laughs> data? Do you take badge reports and understand where the people are coming in, where your peaks and valleys are in your data? So no longer is it manage your PPM schedules and yeah. understand your periodic cleaning schedules. You have to do that as a table stakes now, as any yeah. FM. Yeah, yeah. But then there's this extra layer of data analytics and understanding more to do with that. So I feel that it will do that. And as technology evolves, I think, gosh, what's the... The, if you ask a kid at school, they want to become an influencer or a YouTube yeah. blogger. This stuff didn't exist when I was at school. So no, it was. I wanted, wanted to be a policeman. Yeah, yeah. it was like yeah. I was going to say, you're a fireman, policeman, or football yeah. player, right? Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah, or yeah. an astronaut. That's kind yeah. of. But now it's, yeah, gamer, YouTuber, influencer. Yeah. These are all roles that didn't exist when we were growing up. So exactly. God knows what the FM job description will look like in 10 years. I think with the enhancement of technology. We yeah. have to embrace it because it's coming whether people like it or not. There's no yeah. there's no question about that. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Really interesting to get your thoughts on that. Okay, so sort of moving on to another area. Um, ESG. Obviously, we had a quick chat about it yeah. prior to recording the podcast. And, you know, you talked about some really interesting things that you're doing at Unit 4 with respect to that. Do you want to talk us through those things? Yeah, so for us at Unit 4 and, and me, ESG for, for me and Unit 4 isn't just about environmental standards there's mm. a whole there's a whole social element to it so what are you doing in your community dni reporting comes under esg the whole umbrella of it yeah. needs to be considered 
And for us at Unit 4, we're starting with small steps on what can tangible data that we can present into the market now. So gender pay equity reporting, yeah. number of females in leadership roles, for example, yeah. metrics that we can actually hang our hat on and see hopefully year over year improvement in. Um, but for me, it is more so about you need the leadership to buy into it. It's not a tick box exercise. Yeah. I feel ESG will be on the table for at least the next 10 years because we have so much of a gap to close. Yes. But yes. the next generations of leaders, I hope now that there's so much more social awareness around yeah. what we're leaving behind for the next generation, um, you should see those marked improvements. But for us, it's it's actual building blocks that we can tangibly see change to. There's no yeah. point setting... By 2030, we'll be here. Metrics, it's year over year, small yeah. improvement. How can we be accountable for what we're doing in our space? And for us, it's it has to be through the company. So we discussed before we started recording here that it should bleed through into the sense of if it's a bid for Unit 4 versus a competitor, we should have our salespeople knowing that those ESG credentials that we have yeah. should then be a differentiator, do business with us because we're a much more socially aware business. Here's yeah. what we're doing in the environment in space. Here's what we do when it comes to gender pay equality. It can be a real differentiator in the right hands. So mm. it's it has to bleed through the organization, not just a handful of champions within the space. And yeah. that's for us, that's kind of where we are. Right. Um and I see it in a lot of businesses. There's a handful of passionate people, but there isn't enough yes. <laughs> at the leadership level that then filters down into the managers, into the team on the ground. So I kind of feel like there's a lot to do in that space and something that I'm passionate about. I have young children, so I'm hoping now to start educating them to, in my grandchildren and grandchildren's time, we yeah. have actually a, a decent place to live when we're a bit older. We won't know how to talk to them, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> we'll just sit on the couch with a newspaper yeah. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> there'd be a different world a different breed okay brilliant so what do you think um, the future landscape of you know facilities management is going to look like it's a real um, it's like the million dollar question yeah because right now I, f I feel like the industry is at this tipping point where we're now coming out of a pandemic yeah it kind of still feels we're slowly crawling out of it in times yeah um, yeah but we're at this real tipping point where it's the workplace of the facilities management industries at this sort of evolve or die scenario yeah. i feel if you don't change the way that you was operating pre-pandemic your workplaces will slowly bleed out and yeah. people just won't be interested in coming back yeah right now the biggest competitor to occupied offices are home working or flexible or hybrid. So how does your office earn the commute for the employee? And if you don't know the answer to that, you really need to start thinking about it now because every day people make that decision on, do I get on the train? Do I have to deal with a commute? Yeah. Do I have to get dressed to come into the office today? Yeah. Can I just put my shorts and t-shirt on and join the Teams calls or Zooms? Yeah. So you have to start thinking about what's the value add the office brings and find that unique scenario. I always go back to this, this comment of 
if I was ever working from home pre-pandemic, the first thing I would say if I was joining a call is, sorry, everybody, I'm working from home today because yeah. I've got a doctor's appointment in the afternoon yeah. or I'm working from home today because the boiler man's coming around to service my boiler. There was this excuse to be at home, whereas now if I'm in the office, I say I'm in the office today because... <laughs> I've got the Many Hats podcast this afternoon, so yeah. I'm in London today. Oh, thank you very much for coming in specifically there for us. Go. Really appreciate it. But like, you now have to have this because to be in the office. So if we're not, as facilities managers and workplace professionals, working out what that because is, you're going you're gonna to slowly lose people. So you have to start thinking differently about what the value proposition of an office brings to the employee base because... The buildings are always going to be there, but if yeah. they're empty, the facilities management industry will die. That, so, is, that is such an interesting insight, you know. And, and you are one hundred percent right. You know, I haven't thought about it like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think as well, you know, the pandemic. I mean, just the shift, you know, from before and then after, is. I mean, I don't. I don't think that we totally recognize the scale of how that has changed the work life and i and, and i don't and in about five years time i think we'll all look back and go wow you know i, I used um, to remind my team at the time when we was doing this that as scary as it was and concerned as people were that were property employees when all the offices were empty and people yeah. were forced to work from home that in years to come, there'll be white papers about this period of time. There will be. What the decisions we make now, we are writing workplace history. We so are. What we do in this scenario, as scary as it is, we're privileged to be in this position to actually create the new workplace experience. So let's not underestimate the work we're doing here. It's yeah. the co all the perspex stuff we put on the yeah. screens all of those hand sanitizers that we bought all that stuff that we done as a response it was like these will be sort of emergency response plans in time to come like we they will be yeah it was the biggest social experiment workplace is ever going to go through globally yeah. everybody was in the same boat so yeah. i kind of as crazy as it is it's kind of like the one of those career defining moments when you look back at your career that period of time is going to be such a standout moment of yeah well, all the buildings are still here and people are slowly coming back in. Yeah. So we survived it. But like, yeah, the hats off to every workplace professional out there that, that lived through the pandemic and come out with their COVID response plans and their come back to office plans. These are, it was like, there was no playbook to look through, no history yeah. to look on this. So everybody that done it wrote a little bit of history into the workplace experience textbook so it did as well and do you know something big shout out to all of those facilities professionals during the pandemic because whilst everybody else was at home they were at work yeah you know they, they were there maintaining things and making sure that you know the buildings were safe you know the key workers that were going into the buildings had the facilities that they needed and so yeah. on you know and, yeah. and i think that sometimes gets underplayed yeah and we're now at that like i was touching earlier we're at that tipping point now where we're coming out of that now so yeah. what do we do next is the big question. And if we're not thinking about, if we're kind of still in that middle ground, we need to very quickly start thinking about what's next. Because like I say, if we don't change. What do you, quite in, what do you think should be next? Do you have an opinion? Um, I think every, every company is different. 
So I don't think yeah. there is a... There isn't a blanket approach. No, there's not a definitive answer to that one. So yeah. in if you're in the retail space, you have to be in to yeah. open the doors for the customers. If you're in the tech space and you work off a laptop and just need Wi-Fi and yeah. video calls, you're more mobile than most. So I think every business is slightly different. Mm. Um, but I think ultimately now power shift's probably too strong of a term, but the employees have a life-work balance. Yeah. And businesses have to respect that now. Before yeah. it was work-life balance, you was in the office on Monday because it's a Monday and that's expected. And that has been the way. Whereas now it's work fits in around Life. the lifestyle of the employee. So depending on the demographic of your employee base, if you've got a bunch of, if your average age of employees is 26, they're going to want something very different to if your average age of employees is 46. So yeah. typically if you're 46 and massive generalization, but you typically be slight living outside the city, have a spare yeah. bedroom that you could work in and your needs are very different. If you're yeah. in your early twenties, you're either still at home or in a flat share somewhere and your work from home style is a lot worse. So yeah. they want the release of the office space or access to a co-working hub. So you really need to understand your demographic, understand the needs of the employee. But if you're expecting people back in Monday to Friday, nine to five, those days are gone. I don't gone. think they're going to come gone. back. Yeah. So if you don't evolve and really get to know, like I say, the, the office has to earn the commute of the employees so yeah. what is it that they need you have to ask yourself that question and understand who your customers are when you're running a workplace you're hoping people come to your your workplace they're your customers so understand what your customers need and 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 fit it in around them so it, it's yeah. it's quite a unique scenario i think everybody just wants the freedom of choice and flexibility so if you can provide that then i think you'll be successful yeah, do you know, I like how you turned around life work. Yeah, you know, rather than work life balance, it's now life work, and that is so true. Yeah, it is. Um, because I think we all still say now, oh, you know, I want a work life balance, but you know, the reality yeah. is the other way around. It, exactly it really that. Is. I don't. Yeah, work life balance means you're putting work before. Yeah. The life or the family style yeah. atmosphere, whereas now it is a life work balance. You you take your kids to school before you do your calls. Yeah. And you do the school run before you jump on a meeting. You don't. Mm no longer you work around those those pickup times so it's it's quite an interesting dynamic and those companies that understand it will be the pioneers and yeah. i think everybody else would then play catch up once there's a a cyclical moment so next it's going to be an exciting five years isn't it mark it is yeah, yeah yeah it'll sure. be interesting to see how it plays out to be honest okay brilliant um that was great okay so Oh. How, how do you as a professional, how do you stay informed about new developments within the sector? <laughs> There's loads. There's loads of noise out there. And I, I'm trying to be polite because... Um, Honesty is what we want, Mark. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of strong opinions. Mm. If you're looking at LinkedIn where everybody has a soapbox where there's this kind of constant i like the post but i spend more time reading the comments right I so, as well, yeah. so it's yeah. like you you get this sort of uh 
unique approach to workspace and somebody telling people what is next and next big thing and then you hear i try and read the balance of that land or not land but then even in the comments everything is a individual response to it yeah i don't need this or i that doesn't speak to me or everybody kind of doesn't think does that speak to the company anymore it's kind of everybody it still feels like everybody's in for themselves so but linkedin is a is a good one for me but i tend to actually i've got more gray hairs than i'd like so i've been in the industry for a little while so i have some very good friends that experience the same things as i so we we regularly meet just to talk about stuff or if there's a challenge that i'm experiencing in my day-to-day work i'll pick up the phone or send an email to to one of my peers and say have you experienced this before what do you think can we yeah can we just have half an hour call on friday and yeah let me bounce some ideas off you i kind of get more out of that than reading white papers because it tends to be from one of the big four property companies trying to say they've solved, they've cracked it and they're trying yeah. to sell you some service and they do all their studies and they're quite tailored to the result that they want. Right. So it's kind of, you have to read in between the lines of what you're reading online. Um, so stacking the deck somewhat, would you say? Yeah, definitely. So yeah. it kind of feels like, um, I would say for me, LinkedIn is a good spot. It's then I try to relate my real life challenges and day-to-day work issues that we're going through and then pick and choose who i go to for advice for that but it's um it's so interesting there's just a wealth of information out there and you can drown in it so i would say kind of cherry pick what it is that's relevant for you right now yeah seek that out read two or three different opinions on it don't take the first one yeah because, uh, right is when you get a plumber exactly quotes, like. yeah exactly <laughs> that i kind of feel like that there's now so yeah. many i've never seen so many workplace experts yes kind of the, it's quite polarizing isn't it the pandemic did just everybody then become interested all of a sudden so yeah. it was quite interesting when the offices were occupied and people were going through the day-to-day motions there was never so many posts about workplace experience and what people need in the office and what yeah. companies should be providing people that stuff wasn't readily available now all of a sudden there's a tsunami of information out there so it's true yeah kind of um yeah cherry pick what you need yeah. go there but yeah linkedin is a great place but i would also really encourage everybody find networking is a huge thing go and seek out like-minded individuals choose somebody that doesn't have the same opinion as you it's great to have a debate and a discussion about something get different opinions on it it can make yeah. you see things in a different way so um yeah encourage that yeah brilliant okay so what would you what advice would you give to a young professional looking to start their career in the facilities management arena use ai no just uh, <laughs> just kidding um um i would say for me and i'll just use my personal experience having a mentor is invaluable yep somebody that can actually course correct and guide you throughout your career i still speak to the guy called chris rosrids uh worked for pno he's now retired yeah. ex-paratrooper quite tough oh, as, yeah, I, as yeah, i was yeah, yeah. as i was growing up and coming in slightly hungover sometimes sorry chris <laughs> um no never yeah but yeah he was a a strong hand but very very made me think about stuff it wasn't just the impact on the building what did it mean to the people that were using it and every decision 
some stuff he says to me still lives with me now so sort of like every decision you make could make or break somebody's day turning up the air conditioning by five degrees is going to annoy everybody in the office yeah negotiating cost down on 10 pence on stationary contract isn't going to change the world so don't invest all your time in these kind of areas so like think about the decisions you're making and use your time best to impact the employees out there on the right. shop floor as he would call it yeah and it kind of really way before his time really that sort of human-centric workplace type of scenario be, yeah yeah he was great mentor for me and i still i still reach out to him all the yeah. time just to check in but i think yeah get yourself a good mentor in the industry somebody that can kind of course correct and guide you and kind of give you those thoughts of knowledge that they've been through it so they can yeah. kind of help you get there and then i would say don't be afraid of failing yeah like try stuff like it's okay to apologize for some if the intention was good to set something up and try a different way of working or adjusting something to hopefully get a better result if it doesn't work put your hands up and say okay it's fine yeah. we'll, we'll put it back to the way it was or we'll try something new it's yeah. don't be afraid to fail the worst thing you can do is not try to evolve if you keep everything the same then it'll just be status quo forever and you'll have boring workplaces yeah. so constantly iterate and evolve and push the envelope if you're coming into the industry don't be afraid to try something new and get yourself a good mentor yeah well, as my dad said to me when i was a kid shy bands get announced yeah exactly so, yeah. exactly <laughs> self work. exactly yeah. just don't don't be afraid to come in with a different perspective yeah because i feel the facilities management industry I go to all these networking events and just a bunch of old guys with gray hair in yeah. need shaking up a little bit. So the next generation of workplace and facilities, people coming in, push the envelope, change yeah. the boundaries, do something different, yeah. be more dynamic. I think that's what employees want their workspaces to be. So don't be afraid to push it. Yeah. See, I was dynamic 20 years ago, but just kept getting in trouble. <laughs> I was before my time. There's more tolerance now. I was before yeah. my time, Mark. I was yeah. before my time. Okay, brilliant. So, um, what's what's the um, what, what's what's the one thing that you're proud of? What's your greatest achievement in your career? What are you proud of? What's the what's the one thing that we think I'm well happy with that? I did well. Oh, gosh. Um, can I be cheeky and have two answers? Yeah, of course you can. I think that there's some. Some of the projects are the ones you look back on because they were such a big big reaction to it. Yeah. So one quite recently in my time at Adobe, we had five offices in Paris spread all over all over the city. And if anybody's worked in Paris, the eighth to the sixteenth is a very different atmosphere and different environment. So trying to consolidate everybody in it was a two-year project of change management yeah. working with the french workers councils understanding where employees that was hard actually because like the, yeah. the that's very difficult over yeah. there isn't Un, it? it was unbelievably challenging like more complex than anything i thought so so any any sort of real estate project is pretty traditional you yeah. have find the building you work with an architect to have a nice design get that agreed then find a contractor you build it everybody's happy but this one there's probably about a year to 18 months worth of work ahead of that before we can even get there, getting people on board and buying in. 
And ultimately, at the end of the project, we ended up with a fantastic building that was views of the Eiffel Tower, a roof terrace, champagne bars, and like a workplace that anybody would be proud of. And the hours of hard work that we put in to just get to picking a building was stuff that wouldn't be seen by many. So yeah. that one kind of stands out for me in sort of every two weeks being in Paris, yeah. sitting with a meet like face to face, taking all the questions on, taking all the flack from the employees, dealing with that kind of I think was a great personal achievement for the perseverance of getting there. And the end result was phenomenal. If you Google Adobe's office in Paris, you'll see the the, the standard that that build was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then some of the stuff at Facebook kind of growing from small offices in Covent Garden to some of these really unique working with the likes of Frank Gehry as an architect was like bucket list thing for me as a, as a building geek. Um, yeah. one of the most famous architects in the world. He's, he's been on the Simpsons. That's how famous he is. Really? Um, yeah. So if you don't know Frank Gehry, look him up the Guggenheim museum. Um, yeah, fantastic projects experiences i'll never forget um but for me on the other side of it is seeing some of the team that i've hired develop into managers of their own and really go on to excel in their own spaces kind of seeing something in somebody cultivating it or just adding a little bit of help in their direction i'm not taking any credit for what they've done in their careers but kind of seeing it is like one of those proud dad moments honestly yeah, yeah. I, I i keep in touch with a lot of teams that i've worked with in the past and seeing how they're doing now is just like yeah prouder of that than i am of some of the building stuff you can point and say i've worked on that project but looking at what people are doing now and seeing them sort of grow into fantastic professionals is like yeah heartwarming yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, and sort of conversely, any regrets, things that you would have done differently? Oh, loads. <laughs> Too many to mention. I think that, um, I think, yeah, loads of regrets, but I, I don't look at the failures as a bad thing. I look at them as learning opportunities. Yeah, so there's so many times when we've, tried to push forward with stuff we spent company money it didn't work out so yes it's a failure but what did we learn from it how do we stop colleagues doing that mm. in other areas so it's how you pivot the mistake into a a learning opportunity i yeah. find but um yeah for me some of the stuff is i'm quite direct mm. so look back at some of those meetings with contractors and wince sometimes the way I'm behaving around the table. It's, um, oh, really? it's not great. It's not, I, it's something that I need to develop still as a professional. Um, and sometimes as well, I don't know, subject matter expert in some of these spaces, like not allowing my team to take the lead on stuff and jumping in and solving problems for them. It's something yeah. that me personally, I'm still continuing to work on. So it's like, yeah. I find I catch myself sometimes on calls jumping in and fixing everybody's problems and I have to let them find their own solutions sometimes and allow them to make them as mistakes, which I've done yeah. plenty of in my career to develop. So it's um yeah, they're the kind of they're the kind of ones for me. But like I say, if you do make a mistake, as long as you learn from it, it's not a mistake. That's true. Yeah. It, it's it's honestly just part of becoming a better 
facilities manager. True. Very yeah. true. Very true. Yeah. As long as you've got a forgiving boss and you don't yes. make too many of them. Yeah, you don't want to make too many. If you're doing it every week, then you might not be there very long. But yeah, as long as you're learning from them and can rationale why you made the decision, if you're sound about the outcome was supposed to be better, or here's what we was hoping to see from it, if you can document why you come to that conclusion, you're okay. But, but yeah, for me, sometimes it can just be, I, I set myself really high standards. So if the team around me are not doing it, I can be too direct sometimes but like i say learning learning as i go nobody's perfect I to say, I'm, I'm a firm believer in hard work and i think um i'm very much the same <laughs> you know I, you know i think if a job's worth doing it's worth doing right um i think if you leave from the front people should do the same thing follow to a certain extent so i can understand why that could be quite frustrating yeah and for me i mean honestly working internationally has really changed the way i look at things Mm. certain individuals certain cultures respond differently to different management styles so it can't always be carrot and stick sometimes it has to be a little bit of both in the same meeting so how do you adapt and wear many hats sort of nice pun there um to develop sort of different international teams it's 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 really interesting like i said i'm learning every day i learn from my team so much especially the younger ones in my team it kind of keep me relevant still <laughs> it's like what do they need out of workspace what do they need that's, out that's of why manager? i work with ethan it's <laughs> keep me young it's keep me young yeah but yeah i think that yeah don't, don't ever feel like if you get to a certain level in your career that you're beyond coaching or developing yeah, everybody can improve. So, so how many how many direct reports do you have at the minute, Mark? So my team is twenty two across oh, wow. the globe. Yeah. Um, I have two managers that kind of split the globe in half that yeah. have the bulk of the team underneath them. Right. So sort of uh, two direct reports, but mm. underneath them twenty or so people without having the contractor staff on top. So yeah, spread. Yeah spread globally so that's 22 spread pretty thin i i recently done a presentation where i had to present sort of what my team are working on and i described them as a team of plate spinners they're constantly sort of keeping yeah. this one balancing over here and yeah. just as they stable that one another problem erupts over there so we're constantly juggling and moving around there's never there's never a uh, a plateau where it's nice and yeah. calm in my team there's constantly stuff going on so Ah, yeah very good okay so tell us a little bit about you what what outside of work you know what what do you what do you enjoy well what how do you relax what do you like to do um i'm a family man so two young kids a 12 year old and a nine year old so mm-hmm. when i'm not at work i'm dad only yeah. um i try my best not to talk about work at home like yeah. I, I honestly try my best to switch off, especially now working from home a lot. So yeah. I don't bore my wife with all the stuff that I'm going through, especially well with the kids. But um, well, my wife still doesn't know what I do. <laughs> well, that's the best thing. I ask you, and she's like, "Well, you're in sales. Yeah, what do I do?" <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's the best thing to kind of separate that that home and work life separation. You don't want it bleeding into eating into the family time for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at 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 home full time with the kids and then i was a lockdown golfer so oh really i'm now like massively into my golf if i can get out and play i will do and i find i traveled an awful lot for my previous work sort of constantly on flights and in hotels on my own so i had so much like 
thinking time, I would call yeah. it. Sort of, I would almost challenge myself on a flight. If there was a particular strategic issue that I had, I would sit on a four-hour flight and say, okay, four hours I'm dedicating to this scenario and I'd pros yeah. and cons stuff on a plane. I don't get as much as that anymore mm. unless I'm on the golf course where it's four hours again of a round of 18 holes. I can actually decompartmentalize and think find the space without somebody asking me a question or the kids need me to do something or i'm have to join this call or there's emails it's that's that's kind of my space where i can have that freedom to to think um yeah. and i think it's crucially important for me i'm i overanalyze and overthink a lot of stuff so i, I need the brain space to do it and yeah. i found during lockdown golf enabled that so i've continued that on so yeah that's my i, I do something similar but rather than golf it's fishing yeah um, fish, fishing i find um gives me time to think and just chill out but to be quite frank it gives me the opportunity to think of nothing which i think men are brilliant at. yeah you know but like, like, i am really good at that i yeah. can sit in front of a reservoir for four hours and think about nothing but i think brilliant. thinking about nothing is underrated yeah it, 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 people talk about mental health an awful lot now which is great that it's uh, in the conversation especially amongst men right yeah. i think that there was this stigma attached to men not talking about but having the time to think about nothing yeah. is almost impossible if you yeah full-time work or you have a busy family life at home as well when do you get that space to think about nothing yeah so if you can carve out those moments to go for a walk go for a jog whatever it is where you're alone with your thoughts and if you can think about nothing that's fantastic if you've got nothing consuming your 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 mind all the time so if you could get to that space do it i don't know i do take me boy and occasionally he'll just rock up with some stupid question yeah <laughs> my, my son it makes me that makes me you know you know when you just sat there you turn around the equals when you go what <laughs> my son uh, my wife says he shares my uh my first for knowledge. He's got a question about everything. My boys are saying, yeah. Yep. Crackers. Yeah. Yep. It's quite interesting. Okay, Mark, that's the end of the podcast. How did you find it? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Good chap. Yeah, I found it really, really interesting. Um, I think, you know, your insights are, you know, fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. All right. Wear many hats, listeners. That's another episode in the can. Um, you know, one of the really interesting ones so far, you know, great to speak to somebody that's, you know, been part of that tech revolution, as I call it, within the workspace, um, you know, and, you know, really interesting hearing Mark's insights about how the workplace may alter over the next five years. So thanks a lot, guys. Take care. See you on the next episode.